Uh, our first reading is from Isaiah, and it's on page 8 of your zine. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. A New Testament reading comes from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love, one, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might, might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Lorraine, I know it's tempting uh, in these moments to stay at home, but you're, you, you're here, so that's great news. Thank you. And I hope you're blessed by this reflection and... Um, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to allow people to speak afterwards, or not allow, you can do it if you like, but <laughs> um, 
I'm going to give you a chance to speak after. And I, I don't have a uh, microphone, but that's okay. I think there's enough people here so that if people have any sort of reflections on the text afterwards or any comments to make or any questions, then uh, you're free to sort of just speak up and say, look, this is what the Lord has for me as, as, uh, as I looked at this remarkable passage. Very famous. Uh, very famous. And um, so after this, I'll give you a chance to say what you want to say. Okay? Or ask questions if you like. Hey, uh, I had a great, it was a wonderful time at the AGM today, and I presume you said something, Emma, is that right, earlier? Yeah, that's right. And um, it's just exciting to see uh, good governance, and uh, you've got Peter Trent, a remarkable person with a lot of gifts and a lot of experience, and he's here at the congregation, he's elected on Paris Council. Um, but there's also um, some, just some good stuff in terms of the development of both properties, and uh, we just uh, gave people a preferred option uh, for the use of both sites, and uh, much simpler down here at the Garrison Church, but some exciting things that could take place here in the next little while to make both these sites functioning for the cause of the gospel and on mission. So that's good. We'll let you know more about that. I, I have a feeling that we should somehow open this up for this congregation of those who weren't able to come to the AGM. So is that, that good? Would you like to see those drawings? We'll find a way to do that. Okay. Shall we pray? Let's do that. Father, we pray that you'll get out the tools of the Holy Spirit and go to work, work on our hearts. Prune us, uh, take away the things that displease you and bear no fruit, and nurture within us the things that do bear fruit, much fruit, no matter what our age and stage, new in faith or having been a believer for a long time, we want to be alive. We want to be growing. We want to be fruitful for Christ's sake. Amen. So the human task is not just to do, but to grow. Not just to do, but to grow. To do is a momentary thing. What do I have to do now? What's the next thing on my agenda to do? And with a list of to-dos uh, comes necessarily performance anxiety. You know, that's what comes with, if I can put it this way, works. Did I do the thing I'm supposed to do? Did I do it right? Did I do enough of the thing I'm supposed to do? What if I fail? But the way in which the Bible talks about being a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, is that of growth over time. It's evident in our biology, not just our morality or our ethics. That's why Jesus says, I am the vine. It's an organic metaphor, and you are, he says, the branches connected to the vine, and the branches are growing, and they're bearing fruit in this metaphor of John, in John chapter 15. So it's about growth. It's about growth together. Since there's one vine, and the branches are connected to that one vine, which is the reason to argue and pursue compelling community, not just individual growth in Christ, but to do this together. It's about seeing change over time rather than just in the moment and seeing the change in me, in, in us, and in us together. In other words, to live in God's world is not primarily a legislative experience, laws. You know, we're not asking, have I kept enough of God's laws today? 
would God think of me as a, you know, good person? I get people calling up for baptism of their children all the time, and I say, why do you want your child, you know, why do you want your child baptized? And they say, because, you know, I want my child to be a good person. I want them to have Christian values. And I say, well, baptism is not for you then. I don't sound like that. <laughs> I mean, you know, we have a chat. <laughs> you know, because they, you know, I, but that, it's not a, just about Christian values, it's about growing in God, about faith in God, it's about re- relating. To live a Christian life then is an organic experience to watch your trust in God grow over a lifetime, no matter how old you are, to grow more and more like Christ. Get your mind around that. Like Christ. So the Apostle Paul teaches that the fruit of the Spirit in your life and over time is love, that's fruit, joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things, says Paul, there is no law. This is not a legislative agenda. Imagine a legislative agenda for kindness or gentleness. To grow, then, is to move from being indifferent towards other, towards others, to grow from that towards a life of love, active love, to being bitter towards a life of joy, from being anxious towards a peace that surpasses all understanding, from a controlling spirit to a patient heart, from harshness to kindness, well, I'll be frank, frank, from being drunk, from looking at porn, towards self-control. That's what followers of Jesus Christ want, and they want it to grow over a life. And how do you get that? Tonight we continue our Lent series, scintillatingly called The Verbs of Discipleship in John's Gospel. Didn't that get you going? But I love the verbs, and today the verb is to abide, to remain. It's in verses 4 and 5, indeed it's throughout the entire text. To remain uh, is the word to abide, to stay in a place. In the King James Version, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 in the King James, which some of you will like. Listen to this. Follow with me in the NIV, it's on page 9. From verse 4, abide in me, remain in me, abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, says Jesus, and I in you. I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. So let's explore how this might change a life. Two questions in the outline on page 10. One, how does the metaphor work? That's in verses 1 to 6. And secondly, how then do we, we remain in verses 7 
to 17. The metaphor is in verses 1 to 6, and it's explained in verses 7 to 17. So firstly, how does the metaphor work? Okay, firstly, Jesus says, I am, in verse 1, the true vine. There's another vine, uh, Israel, in uh, Isaiah chapter 5, and he's saying, I'm the true one. I'm the true vine. And then in verse 5, I am the vine. And in doing so, Jesus invites us to see him as the source of life, as the means of growth, which is why he says in verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Now, these thumbs are not green. And you who like gardening know that it's true that a branch, you know, cut off from the source of life, cannot bear fruit, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you know what a, you call a branch that's been cut off from its source after about six months? Do you know what you call a branch cut off from a vine after six months? A stick. A dry stick. Thank you. <laughs> you know your horticulture, don't you? You, gotta, <laughs> you know your gardening. <laughs> If Jesus is the vine, therefore connected into the ground, the root, uh, connected to the, the nourishment of life uh, to the Father, then it must be true, verse 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this metaphor of Jesus being the vine has a strong tradition in Hebrew prophecy. Isaiah the prophet writes in uh, chapter 5, I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard in a fertile hillside. We'll come back to that metaphor in a moment. Then Jesus says, if I'm the vine, there is a loved one who owns the vineyard. Let's call him, in verse 1, the gardener. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. The gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be fruitful. So he so said, there's two options. One, cut off. Two, pruned. You say, I don't like those options. You don't, have, you don't have any other one. Either cut off or pruned. Both hurt, but both come out of a place of love because this is what gardeners do. They love the vineyard. They don't say, it doesn't matter which way the vine grows, long as the vine is happy. Gardeners don't do that with vines. No, a gardener takes a pair of secateurs and carefully and loving, lovingly prunes. How can we trim this back here so that the nutrients will go to the right parts? We have to do that. The health of the plant demands it. The tastiness, the succulent nature of the grapes demand it. Indeed, the wine it produces is a direct result of the pruning and therefore of the love and the care of the gardener of the vine. Jesus says the Father is the one who prunes. So he's the vine, father's the gardener, who are we? We are the branches, verse 5. If you remain or abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit as branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus says, followers are the branches of the vine that the father prunes. And if you are a branch, then stay right there, remain in me, abide in me, stay close to, or it's even closer than that, stay in me, 
It's hard not to imagine that the Apostle Paul, when he's got the language of being in Christ, isn't coming from John chapter 15. I've yet to research that, and I'm going to ask some friends where in Christ would come from in the epistles, and is this one of those places? But if you are a branch remaining in the vine, then you will feel the hurt of the gardener's pruning. But in the long run, you'll grow healthy and vital over time, bearing fruit. Amen? And if you don't, if you say something like, um, it doesn't really matter, the only thing that matters is doing what I believe to be the right thing, I'm a good person with good values, I don't really need Jesus to grow. Jesus says, actually remaining in me or abiding in me is the one thing that matters because he gives you God and no one else does, John chapter 14. So he says, if you remain in me, you are like a branch that is, so if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned and everyone knows it. So what does all this mean? Well, it's fairly simple. Uh, the vine is the life source for the branches. There's a God who cares about the way you grow and he prunes. And to be cut off from the vine is to lose your life, to abide or to stay in the vine is, to, is a metaphor for staying in the relationship. I find it interesting that the predominant metaphor that Westerners use for relationships is now economical. We value the relationships. We value them. Some relationships we find priceless. Isn't that interesting? Some relationships we might say have gone bankrupt, and counsellors will even talk about making love deposits, deposits, and investing time into a relationship. Now, all that's good, and, and it helps people from time to time, but I, I do wonder whether there's any wonder our relationships become very quickly transactional. But Jesus uses an organic metaphor to talk about a relationship with him. He says, I'm the vine, abide or stay in me. The vine, of course, is, is the connection to the fuel, the nourishment, the life source to God himself. And by giving us this metaphor, Jesus, I think, is straight away challenging us to ask the question, what is my core connection? If I believe that I have life, then how do I have it? <laughs> Where does it come from? What is my core connection? Is it my truth that I stand in or Christ's? truth. Is it my happiness, the fulfillment of my desires? Or is it thy will be done, Christ's will, rather than my will be done? And Jesus says, stay right there in me. Jesus said, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. So stay connected in the deepest way possible. So secondly then, if that's the metaphor, how do you do it? How do you remain? How do you stay connected? On York Street, there's a city businessman who gets young people into the room and uh, he mentors them over time. And his first piece of advice, he says to me, first thing I do is I say to a young woman, a young man, what is the secret to staying a follower of Jesus as a city worker with all the pressure of working in the city? And then he answers the question for them and then explores it in a discipleship relationship over time. He answers the question, what's the secret to staying a follower of Jesus? It's to remain in the vine. The answer to every question that he has, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? Okay, first, remain in the vine, abide in him. 
stay there. What's next? And what does growth look like from now? What choices are you going to make, given the fact you're connected to God, relating to Him? So three things, and they're directly from the text. They're not from my heart. My father-in-law, my late father-in-law, by the way, said, the key to speaking, preaching, Justin, is to speak from your heart. And I always said to him, no, Carter, I speak from the Bible. <laughs> no one wants to hear my, well, maybe, I don't know. No, not my heart, from the Bible. Here it is, from the Bible. Three ways to stay in the vine. Jesus says, stay close to or in his word. Stay close to or even in his love. I call these twin barrels. In his word, in his love. Not just his word, but his love. Not just his love, but his word. And lastly, allow the pruning to take place, even if it hurts. So let me show you. Firstly, stay close to or even in his word. That's how to do it. Just stay there in his word and over time. It's right there in verse 7. Follow with me. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you or remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There it is. Remain in me and my words remain in you. You can sort of hear the Apostle Paul saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He wants to give you more than you ask or even imagine. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You show yourself to be learners, followers of Jesus by remaining in him and his words remaining in you then the growth has a chance. If I can put it this way, the Word of God, the Gospel, the Word in Scripture, is like sunlight on the branches, on the vine. Now, by the way, remaining in my words, or words are so fundamental to functioning relationships, that's why in a moment of pain in a friendship or a moment of pain in a marriage, an aggrieved person will say things like, but you don't Listen to me, to my, to my words. You're not listening to my words. You don't respect what I say. You see that, my words? You ignore my requests. In a functioning relationship, my words, or words remaining in the heart of the other, is partly what respectful and flourishing relationships look like. And it comes right out, I believe, of the relationship we have with God. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my words. Psalm 1 makes the same point. The one who delights in or meditates on my word is like a tree planted by streams of water, succulent and growing and bearing fruit for others to taste. That's why the rest of the New Testament has a high value on the word of God so some application will be um, to begin uh, doing memory work again. Uh, memorize scripture. S sing his words. And by the way, if you're going to sing his words, find words that are good and related to the Bible, to the words of scripture. 
speak his words into the life of others. This is how I, uh, this is how I memorize scripture. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a learner by talking. When I was at um, seminary at Bible college, uh, people would go into their rooms and shut their doors and, and study, and they did very well by doing so, but I, I could never do that. So in order to study, um, I would invite somebody else into my room, or I'd go to their room, and we'd just talk about the things that we'd read. And that was the way that I would embed his, those words into my heart. And some of you are learners in the same way. Some of you are doers. You're very practical people. Exercise your faith by doing what he says. I don't know if you've seen A Year with Jesus, the app, but it's 10 minutes of reflection a day. Uh, in a gospel, and there's four years worth. I'm told a million words. Uh, Ten minutes a day, uh, uh, the app is, is, uh, is a year, look up a year with Jesus, uh, Churchill. So stay in or close to his word. Sunlight on the vine. Now what about some water on the vine? Stay, secondly, close to or in his love. Jesus doesn't say, now that I've told you what to do or how to live, do it. No, he gives us a motivation in verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. The Father loved the Son, and I'm sharing divine love with you. So let the Father's love for me shape you by experiencing my love for you. Then let my love, which is the Father's love, challenge you and guide you and bug you and comfort you, and move you. How, how is it? Well, he says immediately afterwards, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you, now remain or abide in my love. In other words, just stay there in his love. Rest in his love. But it's a particular kind of resting, by the way. It's a resting where you get pruned at the same time. I'll come back to that in a moment. And if you remain in his love, will you be keeping his commands? Of course so, in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my, my joy may be in you. My joy in you, says Jesus, and that your joy may be complete. And it's not just any love but a particular love, the love of God. I do find it interesting that our society is very fond, I think, of believing deep down, if they don't, even if they don't articulate it, that love is God. Whereas in the Scriptures, God is love. He gets to define it, what love is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means, of course, that love predates the existence of creation, since God is within himself love. But it's demonstrated in such a palpable way in the life of Jesus. So he says in verse 12, my command is this, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. What a high calling. And then he defines it, greater love hath no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is going to be the friend who lays down his life for us, but he challenges us to do the same. By the way, up at Fort Street Primary School, 
There's a drop-dead gorgeous stained glass window on the staircase. Greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his friends, put together in 1947 as a war memorial. But I look at that uh, stained glass window, my daughter goes there, and I'm like, how the world has changed in 70 years. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for, his friend, for one's friends. Sacrifice is the model of Jesus. And Jesus then is my friend who lays down his life for me. He's my friend, verse 15, not simply my master. He says, I've, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. No, we've been let in. And verse 16, he chose me. He loved me. He went to the cross. He took my punishment for me. If I can put it this way, he took the bullet so I wouldn't have to face the bullet. He experienced the wrath of God. He went to hell so I wouldn't have to. He paid the price. If I can borrow from the prophet Jeremiah, Jesus has loved me with an everlasting love. He did it to forgive me and to clean me up. Look at verse 3. In a sense, in anticipation, Jesus says, you're already clean, O disciples of Jesus, because of the word I have spoken to you. Now abide in me as I also abide in you. Sunlight, water, his word and his love. Not just his love, but his word. Not just the word, but his love. And remaining in his word and his love, then allow the pruning to take place. Let the Father go to work. Read your Bible and live in it. Press into the love of God. My friend Ray Galea is a pastor out at Rudy Hill. And at Rudy Hill, you've got to talk straight or no one will listen to you. And so he said this. Uh, I love this. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I heard it at a, an ordination service here in Sydney of, of uh, people becoming ministers. He said this. When I read the Bible for the first time, I realized how different God and Ray Galea are and I knew right there and then someone had to change. I read the Bible. I worked out how different God and Justin Moffat are. And I realized right there and then someone had to change. And it wasn't going to be God. Ray changed and grew over time. One of you has to change. One of you has to grow. That's what being a Christian is. It's what being a deeper disciple is. Paul Tripp wrote, and I think it's a beautiful quote, he says, God has given us his truth so that it would make sense out of life for us. He knew that we would never properly understand life on our own. He also knew that in this fallen world there will be a dinner voices, oh yes there are, all vying for our hearts, you on social media know it's true, all considering the same set of facts, yet each giving them a different meaning, Paul Tripp says, God's word was given to cut through all the confusion and exegete life for us. Amen? So, all the anger you have, all the bitterness, all the inappropriate self-protection, let him cut it out. It may hurt, but let him cut it out. All the judgmentalism, the self-righteousness, it is the default position. The critical spirit, let him cut it out. It may hurt, let him cut it out. All the cruelty, the harshness, the tendency to bully, the cutting words, 
taking part in that culture at perhaps your workplace. You think it's the only way. No, it isn't. Let him cut it out. All the fear, fear to live, fear to love, fear to love God, fear to evangelize, fear to say you're Christian, fear of what other people think of you, even fear of death itself. Let him cut it out. The resurrection is the answer. Amen. Let him cut it out. All the sexual impurity, it's a challenge. The pornography, the, that infidelity, the sex before making a covenant, before marriage, let him cut it out. Do something about it. We can help. All the lies, the deception, the swearing, the undermining at work, the promises we make with no intention of keeping them, let him cut it out. It'll hurt. Let him do it over time. All the stubbornness, the cynicism, the I can stand at God from a distance, let him cut it out. All the pride, all the arrogance, all the lack of respect for women, let him cut it out. Your inability to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, let him cut it out. Your inability to use your home for the joy of others rather than just my sanctuary, let him cut it out. The greed, the have-tos, the let no one stand in my way, achieving my ends, let him cut it out. Let the Father get whatever tools of the Spirit that are necessary to go work on your soul. The prophet Isaiah composed a song to his beloved, the one he loves, to God. I will sing a song for the one I love, a song about his vineyard, my Beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. That vineyard was called Israel. My beloved God, he dug it up, he cleared it of stones, a bit like out here on the, you know, those of you who are doing the gardening out here last week. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and he cut a wine press as well. He looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. In fact, God even says, when I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? And then God says something tantalizing. He says, tell me, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Is there anything more I could do for my vineyard, Israel? What more could be done for Israel and indeed for Gentile dogs like myself? 700 years after Isaiah penned that song, the Messiah showed up, the vine showed up, the true one. And Jesus, as my friend, risen from the dead, my current friend, laid down his life for me. Remain in my love. So that you won't just do with all its performance anxiety, but you'll grow over a lifetime, watching the Father prune, making you more patient, more loving, maybe even more joyful. And so stay close to or connected in him. Draw your nourishment from God's intimate love. Jesus said, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. So therefore, stay in Christ, abiding in him. Let me pray and then I'll give you a chance to speak. Father, we come before you now and we address you as gardener. <clears throat> Jesus called you the gardener. And we ask you then 
we beg you not to cut off a branch that bears no fruit. We beg you that we might not be that one, not connected or remaining in the vine. Instead, we pray that we be those you prune. You've cleaned us already in Christ, but you prune over a lifetime. Jesus, you are the vine. You are, Jesus, risen from the dead. You are my source of life. Jesus, you said, I have come that they may have life and have it at the full. We choose that life now, connected into to the life source. Jesus, you give us your Father. You give us your Father's love. You give us your Father's word. You give us, you give us God. And as branches, together, as uh, connected to one vine, we ask you that you would help us to love one another in the same way that Jesus Christ loved us. It's aspirational, so we pray, but modelled in the life of Jesus. Greater love has no man that he laid down his life for his friends. This is Jesus, our Lord. We love him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.